On today's episode of Locked On Lightning, I sit down and do a crossover episode with Laura and Scott of Locked On Canadians. Uh, we discussed game one and how game two might go, as well as the rest of the series. Uh, we talk about how what, what the keys are to each team winning, what the Canadians need to do to get back in the series, as well as what Lightning need to do to continue dominating the series, or at least keep winning, basically. We talk about all the players on the respective teams, uh, as well as the paths they took here to get to this point so before we get into that just a reminder to like and subscribe to the locked on nhl show the week the daily national show covering everything around the national hockey league please tune in on thursdays especially where yours truly is hosting the thursday night spot with locked on avs host chris Masilli. so go ahead and listen to that and without further ado let's play that music To another episode of Locked On Lightning, part of Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Danker. What's up, everybody? So, as I said at the top of the show on the opener, yes, we will have Laura and Scott from Locked On Canadians doing a crossover uh, in just a little bit. But I just wanted to comment a little bit on the awards being released last night, just mainly on the Vezina Trophy. Um, Really, with, I mean, with the, the Norris Trophy, yeah, it's disappointing to see Victor Hedman not get it. He probably did deserve it. Uh, I figured that the league was probably going to cave and give the award to Adam Fox with all the hype that was surrounding him in the second half of the season. So I'm not entirely shocked. Uh, I am a little surprised i guess you know i mean it's don't get me wrong i'm not trying to discredit adam fox's season he had an incredible season but um this i i just i don't know it's it, when the gms and it, and it seems like this goes for the Vezina as well you know as some of you that don't know the gms vote on this award so I would have to imagine there was a little bias going into this because of what the Lightning did through the season as well as in the playoffs of, you know, basically now the big controversy has been that they are playing over the salary cap. And I think that that factored in and GMs don't like that with, you know, Kucherov being in the lineup now. So there was definitely some, maybe some factor of that going into the decision and voting process but whatever it is i mean at the end of the day you know all the awards are dumb except for the one that really counts and that is the stanley cup so uh shout out to uh eugene helfrick of the hockey writers um good friend of the show he's he was a former guest he'll probably be back on at some point him and i were discussing this and um he had that to say, so kind of stealing his line there. But, yeah, I, I mean, with Vasilevsky, he 100%. I'm not going to go crazy about it. It is what it is. Um, if the Lightning end up winning the Cup, he's probably going to win the Conn Smythe anyway. Um, if if not, maybe Braden Point. If Braden Point uh, breaks the postseason record from Muscoles, yeah, he'll probably get the Conn Smythe. But I think Vasilevsky in the end will probably get it if the Lightning do end up winning the Cup. So I think at the end of the day, Andre Vasilevsky cares more about winning another Cup than really the Vezina. Um, he'll probably win it next year. I mean, And and I, I think the league needs to maybe re-examine about how we go about voting for awards. But clearly, because this had this, I mean, if, if you were watching hockey all season, if you're not a Lightning fan, you know Andre Vasilevsky was the best goaltender in the, in the league, hands down. Um, he led almost in every category for goaltenders, and he he deserved this award. But you know, the GM saw it differently, and that's what it it, it is what it is. Uh, we could probably go into a 
I could probably spend an entire hour um, on another episode, possibly in the off season after the playoffs are over. Uh, we'll we'll probably talk about this at some point. So uh, until then, so now without further ado, let's talk. Let's uh, go to a, the crossover with Laura and Scott. Feeling out period is now over, and we can talk about the series going forward. It's now obviously 1-0 Lightning, but the Canadians did not play their best game uh, last night, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they adjust in Game Three. So why don't we start with Game One, Adam? Were you surprised that the Lightning came out and won 5-1, given that they've been losing the first home game for the past uh, few rounds? I I went into this game optimistic that they were going to take game one uh as well as but i didn't think it was going to be this big of a of a margin of victory i really you know and this is the thing that kind of worries me that we've seen over the last couple of postseasons with this team is that when they win big somehow that results in the opponent kind of sort of coming into the following game with this with 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 this this you know state of mind that okay, it can't get any much worse than what it did in the last game. So, and then they come in with a head full of steam. And now we're talking about, you know, we could go into game game three, possibly talking about how like this kind of gave momentum or kind of changed things up for you guys. And that's kind of like really what I'm taking away from this game is that, yeah, it's great that the Lightning are up one nothing, uh, Fantastic, especially in the finals. But especially with a team such as the Canadians, who we kind of spoke before we hit the record button that, they seem to keep be kind of the team that sort of tries to discover what their identities throughout games, especially in series. Uh, that's something that is going to be a little be a little worrisome for me, at least going into game two. What about you guys? Did you think this was the result you were looking for, or you know, because some people are looking at the Lightning as the hundred percent you know favorites to win? Uh, we're the we're the big bad lightning and you guys are kind of just like here just to dance with us at a party. <laughs> I, I think that's been the consensus uh, around the league, to be honest. And it's a fair comparison, a fair assessment to make. I mean, they're the defending Stanley cup champions who rolled over some of the best teams in the league on their way here. Uh, we did personally, I expected a loss. I didn't want to say this because I don't like getting yelled at for not being a believer. I do believe in the Habs and even more strongly now than I did before game one. And I wasn't stressed at all yesterday. I wasn't nervous at all yesterday. I was like, you know, it's going to be game one. It's actually going to be a circus. Montreal might get, you know, run out of that building. Like uh, the Islanders were actually where they were run out of their own building and they're going to come back. Um, and and they're going to they're they're going to adjust because that's what they've shown us to this point is that you know some of those games against Toronto were also extremely lopsided and when they went down 3-1 they were able to adjust and i think the best you can hope for if you're Montreal is to keep the games close there's going to be a lot of one goal wins if they do win because Tampa Bay is you know the best team that they faced so far the best team anybody would have faced this offseason or this postseason so I'm not worried. I'm not nervous. I will be worried if they come out in game two and they don't make adjustments that look promising. Even if they end up losing the game, if they play well, if they make adjustments like we're used to seeing them do, if they come out and they play a much better game than they did in game one, I won't be nervous. And so it was a wash anyway, in my mind, anytime two teams that haven't played each other in almost a year and a half play it's going to be a feeling out period. And, you know, it's going to be one team is going to take advantage of all of the mistakes that the other one makes, but that's true of any playoff series. So for me, I'm not, I'm not shocked or surprised, but I'm also, I'm not worried yet. Yet is the operative word. What about you, Scott? I'm kind of in the same boat in that against Vegas, it was a, let's see what they've got. And for the, the first 10 minutes, the Canadians were very good. And then Vegas kind of took over the game. They didn't have the same initial push, but they had their moments where it looked like they're skating with these guys. And then uh, Ben Sherratt decided to lose whatever semblance of hockey sense he had left (laughs) on that third goal. And that, that was the kind of tipping point in the game. I think they're going to learn from this. They've learned in every series so far, what they have to do to be effective. I think they'll try and get different defensive pairings and just tweak things. It, the scoreline I don't think reflects the reflects the overall quality of the game. I think it was a lot of frustration from the Canadians and that they had all these 
shots and chances in the third period, but I didn't see anything dangerous. I think we're going to see them go more east west into the slot, try to free up space there and target some of Tampa's uh, non elite defenders on the right side there as best they can. We're, it'll be adjustments and it depends on how well Tampa responds to the adju- adjustments because Vegas didn't, Winnipeg didn't, Toronto didn't, but John Cooper is a better coach than Pete DeBoer, uh, Paul Maurice, and Sheldon Keefe. And I don't think that's a, a hot take in the slightest. I think my biggest takeaway from the first game was that John Cooper was just much, much better at uh, keeping his best player from Deno than any other, uh, any other coach has been this far. And I I think that the Montreal Canadiens are just going to have to find an answer to that. The good news for Tampa is obviously that it doesn't matter if their best player is neutralized because there's like five people that are their best players. Uh, I do think though that, the Canadians uh, maybe might have underestimated the impact of Victor Hedman uh, because they've played against some good defensemen in the, in the past few rounds. And I think, you know, it's a whole other ball game though. You know, Alex Petrangelo was one of the best players against Montreal in the Vegas series. And like, now you've got a guy who's bigger, better, and just honestly just a force to be reckoned with. So I think for me, that's that's something that I have not been able to assess from game one. That that's something that that's a factor that I think is going to become more and more important as the series goes on. Yeah, and, and just the kind of piggyback. And, and Scott made a great point saying that this game wasn't as bad as maybe the 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 stat sheet maybe implied it was. I I really didn't think Carey Price played it bad game he had a couple of unlucky bounces uh i think two or three of those goals were just like tic-tac goals it wasn't really you know probably the top five goaltenders in the league probably would have had a tough time you know even even andre vasileski would have had a tough time and we've seen on certain times throughout the season as well as on that one goal in this game where he had trouble uh blocking shots like that uh i thought carrie price had a great game all things considered, you know, yeah, this, he gave up five goals and that's not really ideal for any goaltender in a game one, especially of a series as big as this, but yeah, I, I, I don't expect this to kind of be a thing going forward. I think that Carey price is going to bounce back being the professional he is, especially with, I think probably 90% of the hockey fandom uh, that spans the, the continent is rooting for him just because he's a nice guy. Uh, and I mean, who wouldn't, I mean, he is a great guy. I mean, if you know anything about him, I'm sure you guys could sit here for hours and talk about how great carry price is. Um, and on the other hand with Victor Hedman, I think part of the reason why maybe the Canadians sort of took him a little bit lightly, if you want to say that is because he's just so unassuming, just the way he plays. He's not a flashy player. He's not John Carlson. You know, he's not Roman Yossi. He's just this, this lumbering, really tall Swedish guy who skates up and down the ice really well. And, you know, his footwork is really something that doesn't get talked a lot about. And that's why he's so successful on both ends. And, you know, the, the unfortunate for Montreal is that Victor's been dealing with an injury for a majority of the latter half of the season, as well as the early on in the playoffs. And it seems finally now at the end of the, at the Islander series, as well as this, that he's fully healed. So, you know, that's definitely going to be something where I expect him to become more involved in the offensive tack going forward in this series um is there anything about the lightning that kind of surprised you guys whether it was just as a team or maybe just one player other than victor Hedman? i think for me is that uh i i've liked blake coleman a lot i know that he's a ufa at the end of the season he's someone i've looked at for the canadians and i heard his name a lot more than i was expecting in the uh on the broadcast on nbc is because He's very good at what he does. He's a very good defensive center. He gets going in the offensive zone and creates chances. And quite frankly, he's just absolutely annoying as hell to play against. It's Brendan Gallagher. Brendan Gallagher played center. And it's just another dangerous thing. Like Toronto obviously didn't have John Tavares, but they had Austin Matthews. Okay, they have that in Braden Point. And then Steven Stamkos. And then Nikita Kucherov. And then you have a guy like Blake Coleman. It's a depth challenge that the Canadians haven't faced down the middle in the playoffs so far. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they counterattack that line and how just frustrating they are to play against. And so in a moment, we're going to talk a little bit about what the Canadians can do 
to beat Tampa. And later on in this episode, we're going to open it up to Adam <laughs> and talk about what Tampa is going to need to continue to do to beat Montreal. And that's coming up in just one moment. Let's take a moment to talk to you about one of today's sponsors, and that is Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible for you at your local chain auto parts store to stock up on all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on the computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using rockauto.com. Why choose 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is also a family business serving the do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com and now back to the action all right so obviously the canadians have been underdogs this entire time nobody had any hope of them doing anything in fact even on our own show when the montreal canadians were down uh 3-1 to the toronto maple leafs we were discussing firings and future hires and regime changes and things like that and yet here we are in the stanley cup final and the canadians are obviously underdogs again and honestly i'm not at all bothered or offended by people picking tampa uh picking tampa in a sweep picking tampa in five i you know they're they're the best team in the league two years running and they have been they might have been the best team in the league maybe the past five or six years too they just never really got to the cup until uh until last year so or yeah last year it was only a few months ago but <laughs> it feels <laughs> like it feels like years and years ago here's the thing though if you are the underdog if you're the less talented team if you're the team that's deficient in whatever way you need to strategize and you need to be able to come up with a way to beat the opponent. It's never a case of hopelessness. And the Canadians have, until this point, been able to, to make adjustments. So I think maybe we can talk a little bit about what the Canadians will need to do in order to beat Tampa. I think the first thing is getting getting Philippe Dano out against point might be the biggest fact. I, I think that John Cooper did a great job against Philippe Dano. Just, you know, he, he did such a fantastic job in the previous series, shutting down uh, the stars for, for Vegas, as well as, uh, you know, Austin Matthews for Toronto. So I, I think that really what Montreal needs to do is kind of, um, maybe, I don't know how, how to say this nicely, maybe limit his, his put him in a position where he's not close enough to the puck, but where he could still be effective. Cause it seemed like, I don't know, maybe it was just game one jitters, but it also seemed like every time the puck came in his vicinity, he just got too flustered. I don't know if you guys saw that as well, but that was just something that stuck out to me with him as well as, you know, uh, get him, get him against uh, the top line for Tampa. I think that's, you know, that's something from just the general hockey perspective that you need to do. And if, if Montreal needs to, you know, if, if they want to be successful going forward as well, is that you also need to not allow my guys to just buy real estate in front of Carey Price. I mean, how many shots did we see where Carey Price looked like he was looking through a forest to find a puck? Um, just with those big bodies that Tampa has on them. What, what stuck out to you with, you know, some of the things I just said uh, from game one? I think you were completely right with the nervousness. A lot of the Canadians looked that way. And one thing that I did note also, obviously John Cooper was very successful in this, was getting out that top line against uh, the Toffoli, Suzuki, and and uh, Caulfield line. And now these guys individually, they're not terrible defense, de defensively. They're able to back check, but they're not the guys that you want against the opponent's top line, especially when it's so loaded with talent. They're the guys that you want in, in the offensive zone. And so definitely having that happen to them and the 
they were nervous to begin with. It looked like they weren't able to settle down enough to complete passes. There were moments on the ice where you could see them break up a play or, you know, uh, win foot races and things like that. So it's not like everything that they've accomplished over the past few rounds has disappeared. It's just that they are overthinking. It's it's that cliche where they're gripping their sticks too tightly, but it's mm-hmm. very much what I saw on so many of the Canadians. And so part of that is also, you know, John Cooper just being so good and seeing that immediately and taking advantage of that right away. So that's definitely something that the Canadians will have to contend with. And as well, the the uh, in front of Carey Price uh, sort of malay, if you want to, if you want to, I think what they've been able to do successfully so far has been to to keep that zone clear for Carey Price. And I I think maybe nerves might have something to do with it, or I don't know if it's falling back into the bad habits that they had into the regular season. I think maybe it's a combination of all of that. There's a, a mental aspect to the Stanley Cup final that. I think that they might not have contended with begit uh, to begin with because they seem pretty confident going in on media day and their first practice or, and all of that. So I do think that the thing that they've been successful against those really lethal teams was just completely absent this time. They were in the wrong place and they weren't sure what they need to do. And, and when we've been praising them, for this playoff run, we've said that every guy knows his role and every guy knows where to be. And so this is something that was completely absent last night. But the good news is the Canadians have shown us that they're capable of of doing it right. It's just that it was just not there last night. I, I think one of the biggest things too is that John Cooper wasn't afraid to shuffle his lines up a lot and that threw the Canadians game plan out the window. Uh, the host of Lockdown Leafs sent Laura and I a, a tweet last night that when Deneau was out there against Braden Point, Braden Point didn't have any shot attempts or anything, didn't win any faceoffs, and was locked down. And John Cooper, unlike Pete DeBoer, unlike uh, the hell's his name, <laughs> um, Sheldon Keefe, didn't keep just throwing his guy out there and hope he would break through. He moved things around, and now that's the adjustment the Canadians have to make. We talked about Dino a little bit and how Tampa matches up because they're so deep. They're going to need some contributions from a Kotkaniemi, a Jake Evans, a fourth line to try and slow things down a little bit. It's not going to be easy, but I suppose one of the things Tampa should be aware of, and it seems like they are, is that Philip Deneau is still doing Philip Deneau things out there. Even if the Canadians lost, that doesn't mean he played poorly and underestimating him uh, is, I think, a risk that they'd be unwise to take going forward. Yeah. I would have to agree with that. I I just think that, you know, like we stated before, this was just a feeling out process game. I don't think like really Canadian fans should should feel any certain type of way than other than maybe cautious optimism, (laughs) because I mean, (laughs) one or two things could happen from this game. It could just be a learning experience what like we're kind of alluding to right now, or it could eventually evolve into, you know, the lightning possibly scoring you know, more than 12 goals in two games and, you know, not, not, not confidence being at an all time high going back up to Canada. I, I, um, yeah, it, it, it's just, I, I think you guys are fine. I think you, you know, going, believe it or not, I was very nervous to see how you, how just the team would, would respond just the, to the crowd. I, I know like the crowds down in Tampa aren't as big as maybe the ones that the, the Canadians have played in front of. Uh, thus far in the playoffs and you know even though these guys are going to come out and say they you know they don't even realize that the the, the crowd is there uh emily arena to me was 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 crazy last night and to think that you know that doesn't affect you to some degree um especially with how young the canadians are i think that's something that you know i think after one game i think you'll get used to it and especially with with your just one game away playing in front of your home crowd, I think that's really going to help this team kind of even, even the playing field a little bit, if you want to call it, or even the ice. Uh, what do you think, Laura? I, I agree with you completely because if you look at it, even last year in the bubble, right? So for somebody like Nick Suzuki or Jesperi Kotkaniemi, a lot of guys on this team, they haven't played playoff crowds in the past. And even though the Vegas one was pretty big, Tampa's different. It's a Stanley Cup final, and it's always been louder to begin with, I feel. And so the fact that they were able to adjust to it in Vegas, I think it it 
it means that they will probably be able to adjust to it in, in Tampa as well. I'm not as worried about that. I do think that, you know, a lot of times when the crowd is so loud, there's a little bit of a communication breakdown between a goaltender and his defenseman. So that's something that maybe that they can work on before the game, just because it's, it's just too loud. Right. And when people usually, when teams come into the bell center, that's what they'll say is that, you know, the crowd was great, but I couldn't hear the defense or I couldn't hear the goalie yelling at me or whatever. So there's a little bit of a communication aspect that's going to be more of an advantage to them in Montreal, of course. But I also think that they just need to settle down. And the good news is that Carey Price, even though he did allow five goals, did not look nervous at all. Mm-hmm. Other than Carey Price, we're going to get open up the floor to Adam for him to ask as many questions about the Habs as he wants to know. And that's coming up in just one moment. And one last break here before we wrap things up with Laura and Scott to talk about the last of today's sponsors, and that is Bet Online AG. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. You can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, UFC, MMA, and most importantly, the NHL before the next pitch. Or puck drop, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. So head on over to the website right now to see your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKED ON. That's a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKED ON. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And now to wrap things up. So we talked a lot about what the Canadians need to do to adjust and and uh, beat Tampa. So I think in a perfect world, or if 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 the Canadians have shown us thus far, uh, they will adjust in game two and they will bring their game back to where it was in some of the earlier rounds. So knowing that, what questions do you have for us, Adam, about the way that they've played in the past and the way that they are capable of playing going forward in this series? All right. So I actually have tons of questions, believe it or not. <laughs> so with, I, I guess the first thing, I would have to ask is, you know, with your coach not being back till game three, do you think that had sort of a factor in in how this game went that maybe I'm not going to say that the coaching staff that you had behind the bench maybe was too overwhelmed with the moment of maybe coaching a a game one Stanley Cup final. I don't know what the coaching experience of these guys are off the top of my head, but do you think that somewhat played a factor in the outcome of this game and possibly could carry over into game two? Or do you think more so this is just going to be the players are just going to have to adjust and then the coaches are just going to have to make minor adjustments in game two? I think in game it showed that, uh, you know, specifically we talked so much about this so far, but the Dano point matchup and the fact that the Canadians weren't able to bring it about uh, and, you know, trying to get the Nick Suzuki line away from the top line in Tampa. I think that's an in-game adjustment because the coaches have been in constant communication uh, daily before and after the, the, the games during the, the periods as well uh, by zoom or phone call or whatever. So the strategy is definitely, and the game plan is definitely, um, being decided on and and Richardson has shown that he's capable of handling the the games I think it's just that in that game when the adversity happened within the game they weren't able to adjust quickly enough and uh and 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 consistently enough so I think definitely that first time coaching thing is a factor but it's also something that I don't think is necessarily uh, fatal to the Canadians. Obviously, uh, Dominique Ducharme is going to be back in game three, but we still have a game two in Tampa for the Canadians to contend with. And really, I think that in-game adjustment might need a, a lot of tweaking. But as far as their game plan and implementing it and inspiring the team and all of that, like I don't think that like the bigger picture 
is affected. I think the more uh, situational picture is affected. And I think Dominique Ducharme is also uh, better than Luke Richardson on a baseline level anyway at that. Like before he became the Canadians head coach, he was very much uh, praised for somebody uh, dealing with one-on-one situations or, you know, he, he coached, uh, he coached uh, challenges rather than mm-hmm. uh, people and things like that. So I do think that there's a possibility that if he was there, it would have been, uh, it would have been a better outcome. But I also just think that, you know, Tampa is just really good. And the Canadians just really needed that, that, you know, they, they haven't been here before. A lot of them haven't been here before ever. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think there, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff where now that game one is out of the way they can take from and turn around. And part of that is going to be the in-game adjustments and the matchups. All right. And then Scott, my question for you is really what, what does Montreal need to do going forward? We, I, I kind of brought it up before how Tampa did a very good job of creating traffic in front of Carey Price. Is there anything that uh, Montreal could do better to, to maybe make things easier for Carey Price? Or is this, do you think this is maybe just something that Carey Price is going to have to deal with uh, throughout the series? I think the biggest thing is they need defensemen to not swat pucks into their own net. Uh, in front <laughs> there is the biggest thing. Uh, they're, they're smart enough to push plays to the outside. They did it to Vegas all series and Vegas isn't a slouch offensive team. Toronto wasn't a slouch offensive team. They need to just focus on doing what got them there. They don't need to try and, overdue and play outside their bounds because when they get chasing the play you get scramble shifts where they're stuck in the zone for two minutes and they ice the puck and it's all just miserable and awful if they can just simplify what they do they're very good at just kind of pushing it to the outside you know getting it along the board someone comes in and picks it up supporting more in the defensive zone will help and going the other way offensively I think they need to go make it so their neutral zone attack isn't so predictable. They changed it up after game one in Vegas where they're going east and west instead of just north-south and forcing the defense to back off a little bit and giving them the space because Victor Hedman covers a lot of ground. If you're letting him meet you at the blue line, you're usually not getting past him. It's just all little tactical changes, stuff we've seen they're capable of making, and now it's just – Luke Richardson, who's the defense coach, he's got to go to Ben Sherratt and Shea Weber and Joel Edmonds and be like, hey, guys, relax. Do what you do best. Get your sticks in the lane. Even though Tampa's going across the Royal Road there and making life a lot more difficult going back and forth, sticks in the lane, kind of slow everything down. Tampa's going to play with speed. Don't try and get to somewhere that you don't try and play the level you're not capable of. Mm -hmm. Do what you do best. Slow them down with your sticks you know, make life miserable in front of the net. That's great. But make sure Carey Price could just see the puck because if Price sees it 95% of the time, he's stopping it at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, you, you don't have to do too much to kind of make him comfortable just because of just how, how great of a goaltender he is. Uh, my, my next question for both of you is, you know, obviously we all know by now, who Cole Caulfield is. We all know who Nick Suzuki is. We all know who Tyler DeFoley is. Those are the guys who really jump off the the page when when you're looking at this roster. Who is there just is there a one go-to person on this on this team offensively who is just, you know, my Canadians fans as well as the team in general are looking at to go out there and kind of carry the team and trying to get them on the board or is this sort of uh someone playing the hero a different person playing the hero every game. I think it's a combination of both, to be honest, because if you are Montreal, you don't have like, first you have like Stamkos and then you have Point, and then you have Kucherov and then you have, like, it's, it's not an and then, and then, and then, but a lot of these players come together really well to create play. And I think uh, in Montreal, the Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield combination is obviously is going to be relied upon. It, it, it has been, you know, one of the most effective ones, whether they're, they're passing the puck to somebody else or to each other and creating goals and offense. And they're definitely, uh, they're definitely going to be the guys who are going to be scoring the most, I think, uh, or the biggest goals, but you can't, you can't sleep on any line on this, on this team because the fourth line of 
two old guys that are barely held together by duct tape and Yol Armia, who most people haven't even heard of, are, you know, are generating offense as well. And, and so, you know, Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, they are veterans at this point. And they're, they're people that even we on our podcast, we didn't really expect much from just because they're just, they're veterans at this point. And it's not nice to say because they're both younger than I am, but they're old um, and, uh, and, and they're tired, right? But they mm-hmm. seem to have found this new way of playing and, and that chemistry with Armia, who you didn't see in game one, but who might be drawing back into the lineup we're not sure yet at this point because then they're gonna have to figure out what to do with Jake Evans who's really good defensively um I think that they also have just been in in the opponent's face and they are getting goals because they spend so much time in the offensive zone and in the goalie's face like I think that they're definitely uh, a factor and I think the thing that people don't really, really think about is caught Kinyami and Anderson because it's lost in that how great the fourth line is doing and how great Cole Caulfield is. Like you look at caught Kinyami, he scored so many goals and it's like people don't think about that because he it's just the other the other stories have kind of overshadowed uh, caught Kinyami and, and Josh Anderson is a guy who. I think is going to be really good against Tampa because he's so big and he's so heavy and he is hard to force off the puck. Like his one big move is barreling to, to the goalie. We, we say that he wills the offense into the offensive zone with his body, his entire body. And he is that kind of guy. If you're going to beat a guy like Vasilevsky, you're going to need to a get in his face and b take two people with you. And so I think he's going to be a factor, but uh, you're right in that Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki have gotten the the biggest spotlight and that the fourth line has been, uh, I guess, triumphed or heralded maybe, uh, but definitely do not, do not sleep on that Kotkaniemi line. I want to add to Laura's point real quick is that it's every game is someone different and that we've seen Corey Perry be very good. We've seen Eric Stahl be very good. We've seen Yol Armia be very good. They score by committee. Tyler Toffoli is leading the team in scoring, but if you asked fans, they would probably say Nick Suzuki or someone else. Every game, there is someone else who's getting the points, but everyone, when they're clicking, it's just four lines of relentless pressure. And Tampa's deep enough that they're going to have to match that. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle that, especially with Yol Armia coming back in the lineup. There's still Thomas Tatar who could join the team uh, whenever, if they want more offensive punch. There's a lot still that the Canadians can do to change things up if they're so inclined to do so. Yeah. I think you're both right in that regard. I mean, I, it basically from like what that, what you, what you kind of turned me on to is that it seems like this is, you know, this Canadian team is kind of low key deep. And a lot of people don't see that just because of, you know, they, they, they did have the worst record uh, of any playoff team in this playoff. Um, and it's going to be interesting, especially how that those two that fourth line of Montreal and the fourth line of Tampa kind of go at each other, and who could maybe outdo each other. You know, Tampa, no slashes on the fourth line. You got the big rig, Pat Maroon, who you know <laughs> he's not exactly going to go out there and light up the stat sheet, but he's definitely going to try and go out there and light up the other players on the other team. Uh, you got Ross Colton, who's basically the fenceman playing offense, uh, playing on the offensive side of things, and then. You have the one player who had a couple of good opportunities last night who has really, to be honest, has really frustrated me over these last two years. And that's Tyler Johnson. You know, it seems like he's starting to kind of get things together. Before this game, it looked like I was going to have to put out a uh, missing poster for him because we really haven't heard much of him throughout, you know, this whole playoff run. Yeah, a cheap goal here and there. And so, yeah, it's going to be interesting how these two fourth lines go at it with each other. And I, and I guess like my last question would be to both of you. And then, you know, I'll, I'll give the floor to you for any questions about Tampa is really, and I'm sure some lightning fans who have kind of loosely followed this team throughout the playoffs is when, when are the Canadians going to stop bleeding? Like, I feel like every time <laughs> we, we turn on a Canadians game, someone's always bleeding or someone has something wrong with them or like creepy looking about them most notably Corey perry looked like he was having the worst allergy day of all time um what's going on is that is that something where you know i i saw a couple of things on twitter right after the game uh before i got to kind of doing you know going through my notes is that it seems like now the whole the motto around this canadian team is blood sweat 
in tears with blood being, you know, in all caps. Um, <laughs> is, is that something? It's blood, that, sweat, and blood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is that? I, I mean, I've never seen anything like this. You know, I we we have seen it from the Tampa side of things. I mean, I I, I was complaining to you guys before we hit the record button how like. Tampa gets barely any calls and especially in that Islander series I think there was a couple of games especially in game six or seven where Steven Stamkos looked like Brendan Gallagher uh looked last night so it, it, maybe that's just <laughs> something that you know maybe this is something that finally like the refs will realize okay we got to start making calls because this is you know guys are literally bleeding on the ice um and, you know, at, at the same time, I'm not going to say that Mikhail, Mikhail Sergachev was innocent in that. He he did his best uh, Tom Wilson impersonation in that moment, which was very disappointing to see, given that, you know, we've seen better out of him here. I think it's it's honestly, it feels like it's getting a lot of play, but it's because of the way the Canadians play and have had to play. Yeah. They have to get in the dirty areas. They are going to be uh, in the right position at the right time. And the opponent is going to have to counter that. And usually it's a big hit. Uh, and, you know, in the case of like Corey's, Corey Perry's face getting like slashed off, basically he had, I think six or seven stitches. Uh, it, it, that was a missed call, right? Like it was a, it was a high stick and it was a missed call. Then they talked about it being a follow through, but it wasn't really a follow through anyway. So there was that. And then, and, and then I think it, the other way too, is that, you know, what happened with Jeff Petrie's eyes, uh, for all your yes. listeners, our listeners are very well acquainted with this, <laughs> is that uh, when he was, uh, he, so essentially in the Winnipeg series, he got his two of his fingers stuck in a camera hole and they became dislocated. They've become relocated now and he's playing with a special glove. But he says that uh, at some point when they were resetting his fingers, like the the whole, like the blood vessels in his eyes burst and, and that's why oh. he's, he looks terrifying like that. Um, we have other theories that involve other other things that <laughs> that I don't know I don't know how professional your show is but we think it could even be a a a, uh, a straining issue elsewhere but um, <laughs> honestly it's it, it, it I think it's just the fact that they've had to play so hard the way Brendan Gallagher plays is always like this but it's the playoffs so the counter attack from the opponents is a lot more in his face it's a lot more like in, in the Winnipeg series I think it was the or the Vegas series I can't remember like I just watched uh a defenseman like lift him and like push him out of the way yeah. when he was in front of, it, it was it was against uh, Vegas because it was Marc-Andre Fleury like he's the kind of guy that people are going to start defending like much harder against so it's just it's literally the way that they play that is putting them in these situations they hit hard and they get hit hard they're bigger they're heavier uh than a lot of teams are used to and a lot of teams expect and it's a point like it's such a cliche and I hate when they do that because I feel like it glorifies injury and I'm not a big fan of that. Like, but it's like, it, it's the price that they're paying in order yeah. to get this far. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's the effects of, you know, playoff hockey being as physical as it is. Um, Scott, do you have anything to add? Uh, I wish everyone would stop bleeding so much, but <laughs> every time that one of the Canadians bleeds profusely or looks freakishly terrifying they come out even better next game so like uh game two should be interesting considering brendan gallagher's bleeding from the forehead after Corey perry got his nose amputated and <laughs> jeff petrie played with bloodshot alien eyes so every time they bleed they just kind of come back stronger like predator i guess so it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how they uh, take that into game two I think uh, I think that's it. I, I feel like this was a really good insight into how Tampa pays, plays because I, I feel like for the entire year and throughout last year's playoffs as well, and it's happened many times before, right? They made the final, I think it was 2015 or 2016. 2015. 2015, right. And they are, you know, even, even when they were swept by Columbus, it was one of those things where it was like, it was so shocking because they're so good. And it's like, you know, the story is always like, they're very deep. They're very good. They're very fast. They're very skilled. They've got Vezina caliber goaltending. They've got, you know, but the thing about hockey is that it's played on the ice. It's not played in our opinions and, and it's not hopeless, right? Like teams can beat Tampa. The question is, can they beat Tampa four times in the next six games? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I, 
think that this Montreal team, like I said before, is only going to get better throughout the series. I don't think this is if this is going to be kind of like what the series is going to look like big blowouts, then that's not fun. Nobody wants to see that regardless of Tampa wins the series. I just want it to be more competitive. And I think Montreal is going to be more competitive. Um, you guys, you know, getting to the finals is just that's not a fluke. You know, everybody kind of said that with Dallas last year, but Dallas brought Tampa almost to the brink. So that shows that, you know, once you get to the big show, you know, just as soon as you get comfortable and you start playing your game, as long as Montreal plays the game that they, that got them here. um, I don't see any reason as to why uh, this series won't go the distance. Now I predicted it to go six. I don't know what you two said uh, in your kind of like preview before the series. Uh, did you expect it to, and I, and I guess kind of as a follow-up question, uh, did you expect it to, are you expecting it to go the distance or is this, is Tampa going to make quick work? And also uh, are there any questions with uh, maybe in terms of Tampa, what, what we need to do to kind of keep doing what we need, keep winning and possibly finish the series <laughs> kind of slow. I mean, uh, fast. Laura Scott, and I wanna... both hedged our bets a little bit on this one. Um, I know I did. I, I picked Tampa in six just because I can't pick the Canadians because of uh, superstition at this point. Uh, every person who jumps on the Canadians bandwagon terrifies me more and more and more every <laughs> single day. Um, it's going to be interesting because game two is going to tell us a lot about how this series is going to go. Because if Montreal can't adjust in game two in any way, shape, or form, it's going to be over quickly. It And you're going to hope that they can earn that split. Like they did it against Vegas and that changed the tone of the series. It kind of uh, stunned the Knights a bit. If they can do that and then go back to Montreal where they might be adding even more fans to the arena there too. And they've been uh, raucous, the 3,500 of them. They're supposedly adding more I think it, it just creates a brand new series. You go from a best of seven then to a best of five from there. And it allows a team like the Canadians who are just taking it game by game at this point, uh, the potential to climb back in this and kind of shock Tampa a little bit. They're capable of that. It's just, they got to figure it out for game two. It's uh, I don't like to use hyperbole that often, but I think game two is going to end up being arguably the most important one in this series. And yeah, I had Tampa and six as well for the very same reason. The longer this playoff run has gone, the more superstitious I've gotten. I made people turn off the game because uh, they, they weren't Habs or Vegas fans, but I made them turn off the game in game six so that the Canadians would come out with the win. I think um, it's really just a matter of, you know, last night's game wasn't fun to watch either, right? It was a blowout, but it wasn't one of those where it was like, so if, unless you were in the arena, yes. But for me, I feel like the series will get better in terms of quality. But as far as the Canadians and the Lightning are concerned, they don't care if it looks pretty for us. If it's an ugly win, they're going to take that win because you need four of them. But I do think that Montreal making more of a series out of it is going to make it more fun and it's going to make it more exciting. And I do think that they they will at least go six games no matter who wins. But my bet was Tampa in six just because one superstition and two Tampa's so good. <laughs> um, and I, I had one kind of question for you because we haven't really act, literally asked you this point blank. What is Tampa Bay's weakness? Is there one? Yeah, the, believe it or not, they do have a weakness or two. Um, so really the key to Tampa, which is their greatest strength, but could also, if they don't execute this plan, could be their greatest weaknesses. And I've been kind of preaching this throughout the the whole season, and then it's kind of evolved into a saying, and I might as well just stamp it on a T-shirt at this point and, and make some money off of it at least. And, and it, that's if you win the first five minutes, you win the game. I mean, we've seen it almost in every win that Tampa has had throughout this run where if they could score or at least play the way that we all know that they're capable of and dominate in the first five minutes and just set the tone, chances are they're going to win the game. Um, after that, really, you know, you're, you're just, it's just a matter of how, how many goals could they possibly win score and you know how well is their defense going to keep up with the opposition attack and that's really what it comes down to and I think that's really 
what Tampa needs to do going forward to keep things go- going, as well as what Montreal needs to, you know, kind of shut down is if they could just buckle up in those first five minutes and sort of weather the storm, I think that um, Montreal could definitely steal one uh, at game, uh, steal game two and, and go back to Montreal with this series even up. But, you know, if, if they come out and they kind of get overwhelmed with how we saw them get in game one, I think we're going to be going into Montreal with a, a very dangerous, confident Tampa Bay Lightning team who is just kind of just going to be skating around um, the ice in game three and for the rest of the series, like jaws in the water, just waiting for something to fall in. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, and as well as, you know, you just let Vasilevsky settle in and let him do what he needs to do. Yeah. you know we were like we were building up to all this confidence and now it's like oh it's it's all shattered and no it's not it's not I think it's going to be really interesting going forward and we've kind of I feel like we've gone past that locked on the you know our our, we need to stay within 30 minutes so we will end this here thank you so much Adam for sitting down with us and telling us all about Tampa and I'm very excited for our listeners, at least on our side, for our listeners to hear what you have to say about the team. Yeah. And thank you to both of you for, you know, kind of, you know, to, to getting together and giving more information to my listeners about Montreal Canadiens. I think, you know, I, I, I think I'm probably alone in, in this kind of the way I feel about this is that the, the one thing that I'm worried about with this Montreal team really is them kind of recapturing some of that that magic that we saw from the 70s canadians and maybe it's just because <laughs> i've read it's be, i think it's because like four weeks ago i finished the ken dryden book so that's kind of in my head right now rent free in terms of oh my god they got to play the montreal canadians now <laughs> um so yeah. well it's a very different team but <laughs> there have been there have been a lot of references to ghosts in 1993 and and you know the habs of before and all of that even even patrick raw and and mario tremblay reconciled it was for an uber eats ad but they still reconciled on screen and, and did an interview and stuff together so you know anything can happen and even if the canadians do not become a dynasty team i do hope that they at least give it their all in order to try to win the stanley cup final all right and that's it for the talk with scott and laura huge thanks for them to taking time out of their schedules to sit down and talk with me about the Montreal Canadiens as well as kind of giving them a little feedback on what to expect more from the Tampa Bay Lightning Um, and keep an eye out definitely for their show if you want to hear some of you know maybe their side of things as the series progresses they doing a fantastic job over there at um, the Locked on Canadiens show but in the meantime give this show a follow on Twitter at LO underscore lightning, as well as locked on underscore lightning on Instagram. Also like, and subscribe to the podcast, please. We really love all the feedback and just, you know, the amount of reception, great reception that we've been getting from all of you, the listener. So keep on doing that. Uh, we actually had our best week last week, uh, of all time in the history of the show and we want to continue to keep breaking those numbers and we can only do that with your help so we humbly ask you to keep keep up the work keep up the listening and keep up the enthusiasm and uh we'll be back tomorrow to discuss the game uh we'll probably be coming out with an episode in the afternoon so keep an eye out for that um so that's been it for today's episode of locked on lightning part of the locked on podcast network i'm your host adam danker i'll talk to you in the next one